Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Word. So let's get started tonight. We're going to go over the book of Philippians part one. I tried guys. I tried doing two chapters tonight. I don't know if we'll get through two. There's so much good stuff in here, but we're in part one. If you don't know, we are on a quest to preach. Type it in the chat every verse in the New Testament on live stream. And I'm reading the chat the whole time. So we're on this journey. If you don't know, we've done the entire book of Revelation, every verse. We've done the entire book of Acts, every verse. We've done the entire book of Romans, every verse. The entire book of Ephesians, every verse. And now we're on the book of Philippians. For everyone out there that says, Isaiah's a heretic, doesn't preach the Bible. You obviously haven't been on our channel because we have more Bible verse by verse teaching on live stream than anyone in all of YouTube. And I'm not bragging here. It's just being honest. That's literally, we've done verse by verse for like over 50 hours now with all of our other teachings. So it's going to be a good time. The ver- the book of Philippians, t- now 10 years before R- Paul wrote this letter, he visited the town of Philippi on a second missionary journey around AD 52 and Acts 16 tells us the story of what happened there. The famous story of Paul casting the demon out of the girl who's a fortune teller slave girl in Philippi. That's Acts 16. That's in Philippi. Paul ends up leaving Philippi due to persecution. But the purpose of this letter tonight, if you didn't know Paul being the author of the letter and we are going to school, so put your glasses on. We're having Bible study night, but don't leave. It's going to be good. The purpose of the letter is fourfold. Number one, He wants to express his gratitude for their financial help. And some of you will have a problem with this. The church in Philippi financially helped Paul tremendously. So Paul wants to thank them for their financial support that uh, Epaphroditus had sent to Paul and they had continually supported Paul financially throughout his journey. So he wants to thank them. Number two, he wants to encourage them to live in joy regardless of what's going on. How many of you need that word tonight? No matter what I'm going through tonight, God's gonna bring you joy. God's gonna bring you hope and peace. And that's the Christian life. Number three, he wants to influence those that are in disagreement or in disunity. How many of you in the chat know we live in a time where there's so much disunity? Do I need to say this clear tonight? So much disunity in the body of Christ. Now, there's a difference between disunity and uniformity, and I'll talk about that later, but he wants to encourage them to not let their disagreement become disunity, to become united. So number three, influence those who are in disagreement to become united. That's the, And then the fourth goal of this book is to correct the wrong teachings of legalism, which we won't go in tonight, but we're going to go in through as we go. We need unity in the body of Christ. We need connection to the body of Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to change us, so that we're not like the world. So that when the world looks at us, they... Let me just say this. Why would the world want what we have when we're just as miserable as them? Why would the world want what we have when we're in a bad mood, when we have bad attitudes, when we're disunified, when we're fighting and bickering, just like the culture? The beauty of the church, Jesus says, here's how they're going to know who you are and if you're my followers. They're going to know by your love for one another. The fact that I love you, like genuinely, I love every single one of you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll talk about that tonight, laying our lives down for each other. But instead, what we see in the church is arguing, debating, bickering, fighting, calling each other heretics. That's like popular YouTube culture is some of the bigger channels they grow by calling everybody else a heretic. And we're going to talk about heretics tonight and fake preachers and what the Bible says about them. Now what your favorite YouTube says about them. What does Paul say about heretics? What does Paul say about 
fake preachers. What does Paul say about those that selfishly preach the word of God with vain ambition and selfishness? So if you're going along, I want you to open your Bible, be excited. If you don't know why I'm talking fast or loud, it's something about called passion, excitement for the word of God. I can't slow down. I can't not be, I, I can't get up and preach as I'm doing tonight and not be excited about the fact that I was an atheist 12 years ago and God radically changed my life. There's some excitement there. So I won't, I won't apologize for my excitement. I won't apologize for my passion. I won't apologize for loudness and talking fast. I'm passionate for the word of God, friend. I was broken. I was beat down, busted and disgusted. Beat it from the feet up, tore it from the floor up. I was broken and hurting and God came and healed me. Can I get a one in the chat if you have this testimony? God healed me, God saved me, God delivered me and here I am today. So the church wasn't doing bad necessarily, but there was disunity. And not just disunity in this church, a tendency to return to the law rather than following the grace of God. And that happens today. And as with Ephesians, Paul wrote this letter while in prison. So I want you to think about this as we're going tonight. Paul's in prison writing this. You're not, you're not in prison. You can be happy. You can have joy. You can have unity. You can share your faith. If Paul could do it in prison, you can do it in your everyday life. It's, uh, if it was now commentators don't agree where Paul was in prison. Just so you know, some say Rome, others say Caesarea, others say Ephesus. Those are three places they speculate on. If Paul is in Rome, which I believe he was, but again, there's no solid place where he was at writing this. It was around 80, 61 or 80, 62. So 61, 62 ish years after Christ died and rose from the dead, Paul's writing this letter. So grab your new King James. That's where we're going by. If you're like, what is this? It's New King James. And we're going to go verse by verse. Be excited. Get your family together. Make it a thing. Make it fun. Like this is Bible study night. We're going to follow along. Because as I'm preaching this and sharing what the Bible says and giving you the what I believe the Bible says and commentators and different perspectives and historical and what scholars say, I want you to also get your own revelation. This is the beauty of the word of God. It's the only living book. It's alive, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can transform your life in an instant. Also apologize my voice for my voice. We are in North Carolina this last weekend. It was amazing. We left our house at 3 a.m. We got there at 5 or 6.30 p.m. We went straight to service. We had service all day Saturday. I'll post the video probably Wednesday or Thursday. And then Sunday, me and my wife got up at 1 a.m. and got back home at 1 p.m. So it's been a long week and I'm very tired. My voice is going out, but nonetheless, Needless to say, we're going to go strong tonight. Even if my body's tired, we're going to go for it. Philippians 1, 1 through 2. Somebody say start Isaiah. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul motivated to send this letter because uh, Epaphroditus, who have some believe was the pastor at Philippi. We don't know, but some believe he was. Some historians had brought financial support to Paul from believers in his church. So Epaphroditus was picking up offerings and sending the finances to help Paul out. So Paul's writing this letter in response to the kindness of the church of Philippi. And this is Paul's thank you letter. He wants to bless them in return with grace and peace. This was Paul's common greeting is grace and peace to you. So Paul's basically saying, you've helped me financially. I'm going to help you spiritually. And Paul calls him and Timothy bond servants, bond servants, or you can say slaves and identifies the Philippian believers as saints. So Paul says, 
I'm a slave, we're bond servants, and you guys are saints. Now saints, I've explained this before, so I won't keep going over it, in my Ephesians teaching, are those who believe in Jesus for salvation. If you have your, put your faith in Jesus, and you believe in him for your salvation, you are considered a saint of God. It doesn't have nothing to do with being sinless or perfect, it has to do with putting your faith in Jesus and being somebody that identifies with those that put their faith in Christ. Now, when Paul calls himself a bondservant, it's the idea of being a free slave. I know you say, well, that sounds, brother, like a contradiction. This is Paul saying, I am a slave, but I'm also free. He's saying those who are free in Christ use that freedom to perform duties as a slave of God. So in one sense, Isaiah Saldivar is free in Christ. I've been delivered and my chains have been broken. I'm no longer a slave. But in another sense, I am a slave. I'm a slave of God. I'm obligated and I desire to do what God wants me to do. So I am a slave of Christ. I'm a bondservant to the Lord Jesus Christ. I live my life obligated, obligated to do what God wants me to do. When I become a Christian, when I'm born again, I've, be given, I've been given the right to become a child of God. You are not born a child of God. John chapter one says he gives you right to be children of God, not born of human decision, husband's will or natural descent or natural, but born of the spirit. So God gives you a right to be his child. You are born again. And now you're obligated to fulfill God's purposes. We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works that God has prepared for us. This is the gospel. The gospel is I'm free so that I can be a slave to God. So I'm not like, God's not making me going, you have to pray for people. You have to fast. You have to read. I'm indebted to what Jesus has done for me. And I, I say, Lord, I want, some of you need to, this is interactive. So in the chat, let me know, pray as we're doing this. Lord, I want to be a slave to you. Lord, I am, I am so tired of living my life for me. Friend, where is you? Where is living your life for you got you? I mean, think about how messed up our lives have been for the last few years of living for ourselves. All the years you live for yourself, broken, broken, beat up, messed up, life ruined, relationships didn't work, lost the job, kids turned on you. Everything I ever did for myself breaks, ruined, messed up. But then I decided to live for God and everything starts working out. And even the suffering that we'll talk about tonight that I go through, God turns it around for his good. So before you keep deciding, and I'm preaching to somebody, let me know in the chat to live your life for you. Just stop and think, man, this has never worked. All this, I'm, 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 I, the fact factory is open tonight. I'm spitting facts here. All this time I've been living for self. It's just like nothing ever works out. But then the moment you chose to live for God, what happened? everything changed for you. Everything changed for you. The world, li the world lives for themselves. How could these celebrities that have millions and millions of dollars and like literally type literally in the chat, everything you can imagine, how do they end up taking the their lives? Cause they're living for themselves. They're not living for a greater eternal reality. Friend, I'm living for the next life. Have you even thought about this? There's another life that's going to matter that goes on forever and ever. A trillion years will go by and it'll be day one. Yet why are you spending all your energy on this life? Why are you spending all your time on this life? Why, why is everything about now, the pleasure of today, focus on the life to come? Focus on eternity. This is what we need to do as slaves and bond servants of God. My eyes set for eternity. Today I'm getting up for eternity. Like, what did I do? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. What did I do this week that's gonna matter in 100 years? People say, well, what's wrong with watching that brother or doing that? It's not that it's not sin. It's not a big deal. And I didn't say it was, but will that matter in 100 years? 
Will that matter in 200? Have you ever thought about during the week as you're wasting time on whatever? Like we all do. I'm guilty of this just as much as you are. Think about next time you're doing something, will this matter in a thousand years? Now, it's not to say you can't enjoy your kids, enjoy your family, go out and have a vacation, have fun. I love all of it. I go camping all the time with my kids. But I want you to think about any an eternal perspective. Am I just living my life for what I see now? Or am I living my life for eternity for the next life? Like, I want to live for the next. <laughs> Some of you are like, I didn't know I have another life. Yes, you're going to. The Bible says you're going to take off this earthly tent. You're going to remove this outer shell and you're going to move into another life that's eternal. So we all should be slaves of God and live this way. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. Oh, this is interesting. Always. Wow. Here, Look at Paul. In every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So three different times they sent Paul uh, uh, financial help. Twice when he was in Thessalonica and once when he was in Corinth. Paul has not seen them for 10 years and he's about 800 miles away, but they continue to support him. And so they're supporting Paul financially. Paul says, I'm going to support you spiritually. I'm going to pray for you in every prayer. Look at this. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you. Because Paul's concerned with their spiritual growth. I pray for you guys. I'm concerned for your spiritual growth. The reason why I get on here when I don't feel like getting on here, when my body's tired, when I, don't, I just don't feel it. I don't, I don't feel like studying for six, eight hours, five hours, eight hours, and sitting here and studying and praying. And do, I don't always feel that, but I go, you know what? I want to feed you guys. Whether you respond financially or give, doesn't matter. If every single one of you stopped giving and nobody gave a dollar, I would still be doing this. Why? Because I'm concerned for your spiritual growth. I want to see you grow. So Paul said, I don't just pray for you in every prayer. Now, I don't pray for you guys in every prayer, although I want to. I want to get to that place. Paul says, I pray for you in every prayer. But here's the key. This is the key word that I want you to catch. If you don't get anything tonight, get this. He had joy when it came to praying for them. It's a joy. It's not a burden. Paul's like, I didn't have to do this. I prayed with joy. Imagine getting to a place where you don't feel like, oh, I have to pray for my cousin or my aunt or my uncle or these wretched people, but going, no, no, no. It's a joy to pray for my cousin. It's a joy to pray for my wife. It's a joy to pray for my pastor. It's a joy to pray for this community. Like, I'm excited about it. And God says, I answer those type of prayers. I'm, I'm not talking about these, oh God, if I have to, and once every three years, I'm going, no Lord, give me joy to pray for these people. The reason we don't pray is because we don't think God really answers prayers. For you, prayer is like spinning a roulette wheel. And if prayer is like spinning a roulette wheel, you're never going to pray. Friend, prayer is not random. Type that in the chat. It's not random where you spin a wheel and go, well, if it lands on black or lands on red, God's going to answer. This isn't some random thing where you're just shooting, you know, you're just shooting rapid fire up into the air, hoping that one of the prayers hits God. One of the prayers, like throwing darts with the blinders on, hoping that one dart sticks. Oh, you know, we have 500 darts. Maybe one of them will land, even though I have no target, even though I have no direction, even though I'm doing it blind. Prayer is not random. Corey Ten Boom said this. Prayer is powerful. The devil smiles when we make plans. He laughs when we get too busy, but the devil trembles when we pray, especially when we pray together. Remember, though, that it is God who answers, and he always answers in a way that he knows is best for everybody. Prayer works. It's not random. It's not roulette. Going to a prayer meeting is not the same as going to a casino. 
You don't just walk in like, oh, let me just pull the slots a little bit, which, by the way, you should not be going to casinos, okay? Let me make that clear. I'm just going to pull the slot, and hopefully the sevens line up, and God blesses me with the jackpot. Like, we think hitting the jackpot is like, God answered a prayer, hit the jackpot. No! Why are you shocked when your prayer is answered? I pray for things, friend, and then I'm shocked when God does them. Type one if you've ever done that. And you know what my shock tells me? My unbelief. That's what it does. When I'm shocked that God answers prayer and go, oh, I can't believe God answered that. That's, that's my unbelief. Why? Because when I was praying, if I, if I truly believed that God was going to answer and I was praying with a with focused, targeted prayer, which Paul does, and we'll show you this, then I wouldn't be shocked when God answers prayer. I, I, I want to be shocked in a good way, but I don't want to be shocked going like, wow, I can't believe that that actually worked. And I think that's what we think. When we pray for the sick, we're like, it works. I didn't, I didn't even know. No, we pray with authority. We pray with the power of the Holy Spirit. The cessationists say, well, God's spirit doesn't work through us. God's sovereign and does it himself. What are you talking about? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You get power. You got the spirit of God living in you. What do you mean God doesn't work through me? It's his sovereign will. If he wills to do it, he wills to do it through you. What, man, what is this? God doesn't work through us, brother. It's just random. We just pray and believe. We pray and believe and we speak with authority. Why? Because the same spirit that wrought cross Christ from the grave when he died on that cross is now living on the inside of me. Not at, not at some church. You think God's living in a building, friend? You get to get out of the Old Testament. God says, I'm living on the inside of you. I could go an hour on just this. I'm living in you. You are the address of the Holy Spirit. So don't, don't live this weak grasshopper religious life. Like if you're just visit, giving God weekend visits on Sunday, you're living a weak, low level Christian life. You're, you're literally settling for like the lowest level. I'm just going to go, God, on Sunday, throw up a couple prayers, see what happens, put a couple you know, coins in the machine, put a couple chips on the board, and see what God does. It's this randomness. There's no randomness in prayer. We pray without ceasing. We pray with boldness. We pray with faith. We pray and we're not double-minded. This is what separates us from the pagan. We pray to a God that hears. So pray with joy. If you don't get anything, get that. That's it. That's what I needed. We can end the stream there. I'm going to pray with joy. Praying with joy reveals our faith in God. Praying with joy shows us that we're confident God's going to respond. Because if you pray with joy, you're anticipating a response. If you pray discouraged, oh God, I don't know, then you, you're not expecting God to do anything. What if, oh, this is life-changing. This is life-changing. What if my prayers aren't being answered because I'm not praying with joy? What if all I had to change was praying with joy and then all of a sudden, people get healed around me. All of a sudden, my marriage is restored. All of a sudden, family, and all, and it clicks. I was praying wrong. You know the Bible says you can pray wrong and God won't hear your prayer? I have a whole video on in the channel about that. You can pray amiss, but I'm going to try. Just seven-day challenge, pray with joy. If you're not praying, you need to start praying. Pray with joy. It shows that we're confident in God. I'm asking God to help me with this. I want, I want to pray with joy. How many of you in the chat have a family member that you want to get saved? Type one in the chat. I'm going to go ahead and be the first one to do it. As I'm preaching, I'm typing in the chat. Yes. I want a family member saved. And then ask yourself, how much time do you spend praying for them? We don't. 
We don't pray for our friends or family, yet we want them saved. We're living in delusion, friend. If we want our friends and family saved, but we're not praying with joy and we're not praying for them, we're living in delusion. We need to actually, this is, a deep, this is deep tonight. You're gonna need some scuba gear for this revelation. We need to actually pray. We can't expect God to move and do what he wants to do if we're not praying. This is a principle. I'm, tr I'm trying to teach you the algorithm of the kingdom of God. This is not a YouTube algorithm. This is the algorithm of the kingdom. And the algorithm of the kingdom is, you need to pray to see results. God wants you to pray. I feel convicted tonight. Let me know if you feel convicted. So Paul says, tell them you're praying for them. Paul told them, guess what? I'm praying for you. So tell your friends and family, but only tell them if you're actually praying. Because if you say I'm praying for you and you're not, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. So don't sin. Don't sin by telling somebody you're praying for them and they're not. Just don't tell them. Just don't tell them. If you're, if you're not praying for them, don't say, I'm praying for you. We've all done that. It feels so good and religious and warm to be like, I'll pray for you, brother. Come on. No, you won't. Don't lie. You, you won't pray for me. You haven't been praying for me. So just don't lie. If you, now, if you are, then do it and tell them you're doing it. Let your family know. Let your mom know, mom, I'm praying for you. Let your dad know, dad, I know you're far from God. I know you're hurting, but I'm praying for you. Let your cousin, your coworker, your aunt, your uncle, your colleague, let them know that I'm praying for you. So they're supporting Paul financially and Paul supporting them spiritually by praying for them. Now, I, I know and we're not taking up an offering after this, so don't worry. I know people in America don't like the idea of supporting a minister financially. Like 1% of our live viewers give, okay? So we don't like the idea of, and don't feel bad about that. Don't be like, oh man, I'm fine. I'm good. God's provided over and above for us, okay? So don't be stressed out about it. The reality is in America, we don't like the idea of giving a minister finances. Yet, you don't realize Paul was financially supported throughout his whole ministry, okay? And Jesus, the Son of God who says, open the fish's mouth and there's a coin. Jesus was supported financially by a group of businesswomen. So Paul had these churches financially supporting him. And Paul tells the churches, pay traveling ministers especially well. Why? So they can promote their time to prayer and the word. Now, the beauty of this ministry is if you don't like that and you're like, I don't like, I don't think we should support churches and ministers. The beauty here is you don't have to give. That's the beauty. It's optional. We don't lock you behind a paywall. So you don't have to give, but I, I want to make sure I don't create a ministry just because we don't charge for anything. I don't want to create a ministry where we teach it's unbiblical to give because it's absolutely biblical. And mind you, this was money they were giving. This was not like, we're just giving you a teddy bear in the mail. They were giving Paul finances and Paul was thanking them and Paul was supporting them in prayer. Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 6, being confident. Oh man, I love this. Woo. Being confident in this, of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Being confident in this very thing. Paul, what very thing are you so confident in? That he, capital H, that's Jesus, who started a good work in you. I'm talking right at you. Look, I'm pointing at the camera. Started a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Every single one of you, and this is good news. Do not get off this broadcast tonight. You need to hear this. Every single one of us are under construction. None of us are, have arrived. I know you might think that's not true about me, but let me just show you this. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. God is always working on us. And we need to have confidence that God is going to finish the work. Now, some of you are like, praise the Lord. I knew God wasn't done with my husband. 
I knew God wasn't done with my wife. Praise the Lord. And you look at your husband or wife and you go, man, they're under construction. God's working on them. Praise the Lord. But you know what God says? I'm not just working on your husband or your wife that's impatient and bitter or whatever. I'm working on you. There's 2,500 people in here. Praise the Lord. Every single one of you that are on the replay, that are watching live, God says, you are under construction. I am working on you. So as long as you're in this earthly realm, God is working on you. This is why I don't miss altar calls. I respond to every single altar call. Make fun of me. Get in line. Everyone does. I don't care because I know God's working and I want to make sure I'm in the right place for God to work. Before I go live, maybe you don't know this. I ask God before I go live every single time for the last three years, I've been live. How many times? Hundreds of times, hundred, 300, about 300 live streams I've done. I, before I hit live, I go, Lord, do it in me every single time. I pray, Lord, do it in me. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be preaching to them. Oh, this is you guys. You're lukewarm and dead. Lord, do it in me. Wake me up. Change me. Deliver me. Heal me. Restore me. I'm open, God. Point out anything in my life that offends you, that, that doesn't line up with your word. Because I'm a work in progress. I'm under construction. So God is still working. I want him to do it in my life. I'm not arrogant. I don't think I have it all together. I'm always working. God's always changing me. My life is a construction site that God is always working in. I, I live my life on the potter's will. God's always like breaking this, molding this, refining and purifying this. When does the work finish? When do I get to come off the potter's will and be done with it all and be, and be good to go? I'm sparkly and perfect. Here's when. When I stand face to face with Jesus after after temporary death in this realm and then going to or when I meet Jesus in the air. Two conditions to being made perfect. Meeting Jesus in the air or dying and standing before him on judgment day. Nobody is fine where they're at if they're still in this realm. You are not okay. I'm blown away by when we do altar calls. People sit back like this. I'm like, if you need more of God, come forward. If you need revival, come forward. If you need deliverance, come forward. Here, here's what you're saying to God. I'm good where I'm at. I don't need more. That's called being lukewarm. You're in need of nothing. You go, I want more money, more this, more that. But when it comes to God, uh, I'm good where I'm at. No, you're not. Nobody's good where they're at. Not one of you. I'm blown away by how many people don't want prayer or respond to altar calls. You're saying you're fine where you're at. And Paul stresses this. God is working on you. Nothing is by accident. God is working. So whatever you're going through in life, God is working. God is always working behind the scenes. You just need to zoom out your perspective. If you watch a movie, which I don't really enjoy movies. I just get bored too easy, okay? If you watch a movie, you know that if you zoomed out the camera, there's 50 people behind the scenes doing whatever needs to be done to make that movie film. You know it's not real. You know there's 50 people behind the scenes. When you zoom out and you're not so narrow focused on what you're going through, like I'm going through the sickness and that's all I could think about. When you zoom out, you realize that God is always working. Even if you don't feel it, he's working. Even if you don't think so, I'm gonna start singing now, okay, Waymaker. Even if you don't see it, feel it, believe it, God is working on your behalf behind the scenes. God is always working. So this shows me, this verse shows me I'm not in charge of my spiritual life. God, my spiritual growth not life, okay, I messed up there, growth, God is. 
My job is to stay connected to the vine and fruit will automatically grow. Have you ever driven by a fruit tree and the fruit tree's like, oh, I need to produce an orange. Have you ever seen a fruit tree be like, I really need to produce an orange and a lemon and it's shivering going like, it's trying. Fruit trees don't try to produce. They produce because they're connected. The branch isn't like, oh, I really got to produce an orange today. I got to work for this. The branch produces fruit because it's connected to the vine. And Jesus says, I know if your fruit's good or not based on who you're connected to. They don't have to try to be connected. They're connected. I'm, I'm sorry, they don't have to try to produce fruit. They produce fruit because they're connected. If you're struggling to produce fruit, maybe you're not connected. Okay, let's move on. Three kinds of completeness in God. Okay, three types of completeness, being complete in God. Don't get, I don't want you, you to be confused on this. Colossians 2.10, and in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head of every power and authority. Our position in Christ, we're already considered perfect in God's eyes. In God's eyes, our position in Christ is we are righteous. We have the righteousness. Christ has imputed his righteousness upon us. So in God's eyes, our position is we are made right with God. That's number one. Secondly, completeness is 1 Timothy 4.15. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. All right, so wait a minute. Colossians says we're complete. Timothy here is saying everyone will see our progress. Paul's letter to Timothy is everyone will see your progress. So are we in progress or are we complete both? Our position's complete, but we are a work in progress. Number three, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. For our citizenship, uh, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. So when we reach heaven, we'll be perfect forever. Okay, so the three things are, we are, our position in Christ is perfect, but God is working a perfect progress while we're on the earth, it never ends. And then when we reach heaven, we'll be perfect forever. So we're in right standing with God, being perfected, and we'll be made perfect all at the same time. It's different, it's different ways that this is working. The work, now what is the work that God is doing? And I can't skip this or stress this. What is the work God's doing, okay? Because Isaiah, you just said everybody's a work in progress. God's working on me. What is God doing in me? Like what is God, have you thought about what is God's ultimate goal? And our goal is to make the Bible simple. So that's what we're trying to do tonight. What is God's ultimate goal in perfecting me and putting me all through the stuff that he's putting me through? It's to transform you write this down into the likeness of his son in Roma in Romans remember it says to be conformed to the image of his son God wants you to act like Jesus act that's why some of you acting uh, crazy online in the comment sections watching crazy stuff and it, it sounds so cheesy what would Jesus do it's not cheesy it's biblical if you're wondering should I be listening to this music what Jesus what Jesus I don't think so. I don't think Jesus is going to be listening to Beyonce. I don't think Jesus is going to be listening to Justin Bieber. I just, I know it's a little bit radical here. I just, I just can't imagine Jesus listening to these secular artists. So I look at that and go, okay, would Jesus, excuse me, would Jesus listen to these secular artists? Would Jesus live? No. Okay. Then I shouldn't either. Now, maybe you stumble, maybe you fall. There's grace and mercy and all that. But my lifestyle, God is transforming me into the likeness of a son. So if, if I, Jesus wouldn't do this, then I shouldn't be doing it either. God wants us to act like Jesus act. If Jesus wouldn't do it, I shouldn't either. Growth and change happen over time. Do not be discouraged if you're not changed in an instant. 
Look back on how far you've come. I look at myself a year ago, how far I've come, and I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not the guy that I was a year ago. So don't be mad when you're not instantly transformed, but remember, transformation is over time. You're constantly being worked on. Philippians 1, 7 through 8. Just as, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, okay, and as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Pa Paul obviously doesn't hold back when speaking about his affection for believers. Paul's affectionate because he has Christ's affection. So the affection, the love, if you want to change out those words, you can. The affection Paul has for these people has been transferred from Jesus. Jesus says, I love every one of you. I'm affectionate towards you. So because Paul's in Christ, that affection is transferred on to Paul. I will sit and talk to you guys after service for hours and do the best I can and I'll do my Q and A's and I'll sit for, I've done 60 hours now of phone calls with you guys. 60 hours plus 60 hours. I've talked to you guys on the phone answering questions. Why? Because I love you guys. Because I'm affectionate. I have affection for every single one of you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Supernatural affection towards you guys as my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because Christ has conferred, imputed that affection onto me. I don't love you just because I love you. I'm like, oh, I'm just bored. I want to love people. No, I, lo I love you because Christ has imputed affection. That's why we should love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And even some people that I dislike, I still love them. I don't talk bad about them. I still love them. I still love you. Even though you think I'm a false teacher and false prophet and you don't like me, I still love you. I have affection towards you and you don't think I'm a brother. I think you're a brother and I love you and there's nothing you can do about it because the affection that God has given me for people. I, you can ask my wife this. I love people. I love people. I could get along with anybody. I could talk to anybody. I could spend hours, you know, praying with you and greeting you. It's, it's not fake when I talk with you guys and greet you guys and spend hours with some of you guys. It's not fake. I literally love people and it's not because of me. It's because Christ imputed affection. Don't be afraid. Now, guys, please listen. If you're a male, turn me up here. Do not be afraid to show affection. Do not be afraid to tell someone you love them. Do not be afraid to tell someone that you appreciate them. I know that we live in a world where men have trouble expressing their feelings or their affections. Paul didn't have that issue. Paul wasn't like, I don't really know. I'm afraid of saying I love you. No, Paul greeted his brother with a holy kiss. Now, don't come up and kiss me at the next service we do, okay? Please. Paul did that doesn't mean we have to do that. But Paul did show affection and Paul didn't have the issue. God wants to demonstrate love for others. If you live your life... I'm spitting facts tonight, y'all. Let's be honest. If you live your life afraid to show emotion, affection, or affirmation, you're going to find yourself very, very lonely. For real. You're going to find yourself very, very lonely in life if you're a person that does not show affection, does not show affirmation, or does not show emotion. Don't be afraid to show emotion. Don't be afraid to show affection, as Paul said. Ah, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this I pray important let's listen to this and this i pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by jesus christ to the glory and praise of god okay stop right there because paul is literally i love that word literally i don't know why i love it so much paul's literally going to tell us what he's praying for when he prays anytime someone in the bible tells us what they're praying for highlight check underscore mark write save flip bookmark tear whatever you don't tear out whatever you need to do mark it all up 
because we're going to get insight into what was Paul praying for. Like, imagine I say, hey, I prayed for you for an hour. And you're like, hey, I want to know what you prayed for. What have you been praying for me about? This is what Paul's going to show us. And so not only, excuse me, my voice is going out. Do we know what Paul is praying for them? But we know what Paul prayed. How many of you are interested in what Paul is praying? Raise your hand. Type one in the chat. Give me an emoji or something. Like Paul's going to pray something powerful here. And he's going to pray a few things. Number one, that their love grows more and more through love with action. Not just like, I love you and fuzzy, but put action behind your love. The Bible constantly teaches love with action. Bible says, don't just say you love me, obey my commandments. Bible says, don't love your brother in word, but love him in deed and action. So don't go around being like, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, prove it. If you love God, obey his commandments, prove it. If you love your neighbor, don't walk by and say, I love helping the homeless and you keep walking by homeless people. Don't say you love your brother when they're in need and you don't help them. So we have to have action. Too many of us have empty words and we give God lip service and we're empty. We love people. No, you don't. You don't love people if you don't share the good news with them. You don't love people if you don't feed them when they're in need. You don't love people if you're not willing to help the down and out. The Bible says, let us love with deed and action. So Paul, this is what he's gonna pray. Their love would grow more and more, okay? Number two, they would know the best way to respond to situations and thus be without sins when Jesus returns. Learn to respond the right way, y'all. Some of you do not know how to respond in situations. You backlash, you get upset, you have unforgiveness, bitterness. No, no, no. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you'd respond properly. The word approve, so being approved or responding to the situation was the Greek word was used for testing materials I'm sorry, testing metals for genuineness. So it'd be like testing something to see if the metal's genuine, if the gold's real, the diamond's real. God's saying, I want to test you to see if you're really what you say you are. I want to evaluate you. Paul says, I'm evaluating you to see how you act in difficult situations. Okay, make the right choices. Make good choices. Okay, number three, live in such a way that's obvious they depend on God. And Paul refers to this as the fruits of righteousness. We know in Galatians, he says, that's defined by, what is that brother? Love, joy, peace. Come on, long suffering. Here's one for some of you that don't have kindness. You're just nice to people. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And all right, I'm I'm gonna stop. I'm, I'm gonna make some of you mad. I was gonna say something, but I won't say it. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, Paul is saying, this is the fruit that you should have, okay? And there's a lot of Christian YouTubers that don't have any of these fruits. There's no love, there's no peace, there's no gentleness, there's no self-control, there's no faithfulness, there's no kindness, there's no goodness. You, and I just practiced self-control by not saying what I wanted to say there. I practiced one of those fruits as I read it, I wanted to say something, but I didn't say it. Galatians 5, 22, these are the characteristics of God. These are the characteristics of God himself. God is love, God is peace, God has long suffering, God is kind, God is good, God is faithful, God is gentle, and God has self-control. And that's how we're supposed to be because we're supposed to live like Jesus. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out, look at this, watch this, for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evident to the whole world, I'm sorry, to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and most of the brethren of the Lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Wow. Paul says being in prison is the worst. Look at this. The worst thing that could ever happen to Paul is Paul be in prison. Paul's life goal 
is to preach the gospel to everybody. Now Paul's chained to a guard 24 hours a day and Paul can't go out and spread the gospel. This is worst case scenario for Paul. And Paul says this, something good's coming out of this. Now, when Paul first gets locked up, he's probably thinking, why would God allow this? God, God, you told me to go preach. You told me to go share my faith. You told me to go preach your gospel. And now you're going to let me be in prison and I can't do any of those things from prison. Like, how could this be God? But scholars say that without Paul's time in prison, we would not have the letters we have today. So God used Paul's prison sentence for the good. And Paul in these verses is saying, the result of imprisonment is, an, is actually a good thing. Imagine me telling you, you having cancer is a good thing. Okay, what's your worst fear? What's like the worst thing that can happen to you? And me saying that happened to you and it's good for you. What? And this is what Paul is saying. I'm locked up. This is worst case for a preacher. And Paul says, it's good. It's for the glory of God. Why? Because the palace guards are going to look at this guy and say, wow, this guy's faith must be real. He's willing to go to prison over it. And his fellow brethren, because of his chains, physical, his fellow brethren are now bolder to witness for Christ. Well, Paul went to prison for it. What's stopping me? Come on, chat. Where are you at tonight? Well, Paul got locked up for it. What's stopping me? Oh, you're afraid of some little heresy hunter on YouTube made a video about you. You're going to stop preaching. Who cares about what some basement cave dwelling troll said about you that's sitting around making videos every day and not doing nothing? Who cares? That's going to stop you from preaching. I know God, there's guys that shut down. They stop making videos and preaching. I got to take a break. Too many people are talking about me. Welcome to Christianity. Welcome to the narrow road. I'm going to go live even more to give them more content. Okay, because they're obviously lacking content. So I'm going to give them more. I'm not going to let them stop me. They could try to put me in chains, but we glorify God. Paul's in chains saying God's going to work this out. Whatever you're going through, you know, for me as a YouTuber, people make videos slander. That's stuff I go through. I'm like, man, that's lame, but whatever. Okay, they're obviously bored. That's nothing. Me going through a little persecution on YouTube, that's nothing. That's weak. Paul's like, dude, I was in chains. That's, that doesn't even count as persecution. Somebody makes a video about you. That doesn't even count as persecution. Paul says, look at my chains. It's making people bolder. So guys, get over it. Any of you YouTubers watching this, get over it. Let them make the videos. You know who you are. You know God has called you. You know that God has anointed you. You know that God's, you're walking that narrow road. Maybe it's not the same ministry that God's called them to, but you know who you are. Don't let them stop you. God is going to work this out. Any situation, God's going to work out. Because God used this situation to reach the palace guards, to embolden other believers, and to get these letters out. Billy Graham said this, when you bake a cake, you put in raw flour, raw baking soda, soda, uh, bitter chocolate, shortening uh, egg all this gross stuff by itself none of which tastes good by themselves billy graham said but which works together to make a delicious cake and so does god do with our sins and our mistakes although they're not good in themselves if we commit them to him on a simple faith he'll work things out in a way in his time to make something good for his glory does not matter what you're going through somebody needs to hear this tonight god says i'm going to work these things out for your good like the guards watching Paul, how he responds to people, how he preaches to people, how he goes through adversity. The guards are watching you. The world is watching how we respond. They want to see how you're going to respond to getting cancer. They want to see how you're going to respond to your kid getting something happening to your kid. They want to see how you're going to respond to your boss firing you, wrongly firing you. They want to see how you're going to respond. You know how many people of the world that watch my stuff that are waiting for me to respond to all these guys that call me a heretic for no reason? They're all waiting. Guess what? 
not getting a response from me. Just going to keep preaching. I'm going to kill them with silence. Not worth my time. Not Y'all, I got four kids. An eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. Okay, just celebrated last week 10 years of marriage. Do you really think I'm a grown man? I'm 31 years old. Do you really think, I know I'm skinny, but I'm 31, okay? You think I have time to sit here and make response videos? Someone called me a heretic. This is my response. Come on, dude. That's low level. That's so low level. Come up. Level up in God. If I'm going to spend one day, I, one day, I responded one time to, for the first time and ever. I've never responded to anybody that's called me out ever. I responded to one guy because the epoxy was so strong. I responded to him on Facebook and made a post about him. Guess how long the post was up for? 20 minutes. I deleted the post because I text my Demon Slayer buddies. I was like, man, I've never done this, but I'm so frustrated. I responded and they were all like, don't take the bait. And you know what I realized? I spent two hours reading comments and looking at his stuff and reading what people were saying. Wasted. Wasted two hours. I could have been playing with my kids. I could have been with my wife. I could have been reading and praying. I could have been preparing and studying. Two hours, I'll never get back to argue with a guy that doesn't care what I have to say, but wants to take my words out of context. Low level. This is why we don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Let God vindicate you. Let God speak for you. People are watching. In the world, they watch and go, oh, look, Isaiah's responding. Oh, look, Isaiah's mad. Oh, look, and they watch us. You don't think the world is watching? You know how many secular YouTubers hit me up, say, we watch your videos? Secular. They're out there doing the craziest non-godly things, and they watch our videos, and they're watching, and they're going, hey, will you pray for me? They're not believers, and they watch how we act. So do trust me, the palace guards are watching. Are you, are you catching that in the spirit? Philippians 1.15. This is where the title of the video comes into play. Philippians 1.15-18. Some indeed, ooh, this is going to get spicy here. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambitions. Okay, these are fake preachers. They're doing it for selfish reasons. They don't preach sincerely, Paul says. Not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed to, for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. What? This is the verse I got my title from. God uses fake preachers. Do, does people get saved in fake preachers' sermons? Yes. Do people get healed in fake preachers' revivals? Yes. Do people get delivered when they come to gatherings of fake preachers? Absolutely. This is why I don't waste my time calling them out. Because God works not because of us. God works in spite of us. The night I got saved, the guy that preached the message that I got saved at when I got filled with the Holy Spirit and changed was seen prostitutes at the time nobody knew this and i got saved in one of his services and the anointing of god was working through him again paul is saying this he goes listen there are some preaching from envy and strife and they're selfish in their preaching they're doing it for the wrong reasons their motives are not sincere they're fake preachers but here's what paul is saying at least christ is still being preached at least if they're preaching christ if they're preaching christ at least christ is being preached so paul's like i'm gonna leave them alone you're not going to find Paul calling all these people out by name. I think he called two to three people out in all of his gospels. Not once. I know some of you aren't going to like this. It's okay. Get over it. Not one time in the Bible does the Bible say to call out people that are false. Never. It says beware. It says to, be, to know about them. It never says call them out publicly. You're not going to see Paul over and over again calling these teachers out publicly. There's guys, which I'll talk about in a minute, that make their entire ministries calling people out. Now, I want you to notice something. In one, in one letter, Paul says, 
Look at this. Paul says, if they preach another gospel, let them be cursed. That's what Paul says. He says, look, if these guys preach another gospel, even if it's an angel, let a curse fall upon them. Okay. Then Paul says here, you got these fake preachers preaching out of selfish ambition and envy for the wrong reasons. Like some of these mega church guys that, you know, everyone thinks says are fake. Paul says, let them keep preaching. Paul, what are you talking about? Is it they're fake and they're cursed or let them preach? Here's the thing. Motives versus message. If the motives are wrong, at least they're preaching Christ. If the message is wrong, let them be cursed. So I will never defend a false teacher. If somebody's preaching a wrong message and saying salvation is not through Jesus, it's not by faith, then they're false. They're false teachers, period. But if they're preaching the right message of Jesus, but they're fake or envious or selfish or conceitful, then Paul says, let them preach. At least Christ is being preached. It's interesting how he uses those two. So motives versus message. One commentator said this. This is a commentator as I was studying this today. I have a strong word. This is a commentator, not me. I have a strong word to give all those that give public criticisms of other ministries. Watch yourself. Rather than being discerning, you've may become narrow and rigid. Learn from Paul. Even ministries that employ a few deceptive motives, even churches that you choose not to attend, Paul said in effect, I rejoice because at least Christ is being proclaimed. I rejoice. Now, in my early days, let me just transparent, candid here. In my early days, I used to call out, Joel Osteen's a false this, all that. And you know what I realized? Why am I picking battles with other ministers and other preachers when there's so many battles? I'm so busy fighting the kingdom of darkness, I, I literally don't have time to call out Joel Osteen. And honestly, calling out Joel Osteen, I mean, honestly, that's low-hanging fruit. Is anybody listening to Joel Osteen like, man, this is real radical, this is really born again. Okay, you don't, it's like low-hanging fruit. And I used to do that, and then I realized... What happens when you do that is you start creating ministries about what people are against rather than what they're for. So I can, you don't have to agree with me on this. It's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. I can make a ministry about Bible edifying, which we have 900 videos on the channel and not one of them are calling anybody a false teacher out of 900 videos. I can make videos that edify and build up or I can make videos that tear down and accuse. Now, God builds up. Let's, let's, just, let's just be practical here. Follow me. God builds up. God encourages, God exhorts, God edifies, New Testament prophecy, comfort, exhortation, edification. The devil, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the devil does. So before I decide I want to accuse the brethren, those that believe in the ba five basic tenets of the faith, before I accuse them of being false, let me make sure that I'm not partnering with the devil because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Why don't we stop why don't we stop trying to do the job of angels? You know what the job of angels are? In the end days, the angels are going to separate the wheat from the tare. God, Jesus did not say you separate the wheat from the tare. Jesus said the angels are going to come separate the wheat. So who's false and who's not? Let the angels come decide. We don't need to decide. Let the angels come decide who's false. Now, if I feel someone's fake or false, maybe I'll go to them like the Bible says to do. But I'm not going to go on my platform of a million followers and publicly assassinate somebody and destroy their character and bring accusations and bring reproach to the gospel. That's what you do is you bring reproach to the gospel. Let God separate the wheat from the tares. We are not called to do that. Now, a lot of people think, 
You know, if God, if you don't do it the way I do it, you're a false teacher. That's not biblical. In fact, calling someone a false teacher for a secondary issue, it makes you a false teacher, makes you an accuser, and also makes you someone that gives a false testimony. Now, when Paul says they're adding affliction to my chains, he's saying, I'm in chains, and these guys are speaking, some scholars say bad about Paul. Some scholars say they were arguing Paul's theology. I don't know exactly what nobody does, but Paul's saying they're adding to the fact that I'm already in bondage. Like, I'm already in bondage for Christ in prison, and they're going to add to it. But then he goes, at least they preach Christ. And Paul didn't name anybody. Paul didn't name anybody. Now, there's the dangers, I believe, of heresy hunter ministries. If you don't know what they are, good. Or now they call them discernment ministries. Basically, YouTube channels where they're constantly calling people out false heretic heretic they're always doing that here's a couple dangers number one you create divisive communities of people that are against rather than what they're for our community is a community that is for things not against things so i want to create a healthy community of we're for god we're for repentance we're for miracles we're for holiness we're for salvation we're for community we're for prayer we're that's what we're for we're not against 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 i'm against that guy because these communities are built on i'm against him i'm against him i'm against him i'm against him and that's the whole community go to the comment sections of any of these people it's all toxic 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 that's number one number two these channels lack real value or content because all their stuff is about what others are doing not what god is doing i don't need to make videos and use other people's content because i have enough to talk about what God is doing in my life and what God is doing in the Bible than what other people aren't doing or what other people are doing, okay? Number three, they create prideful Christians who think they're always right and everyone else is wrong. I'm preaching strong. If you think everybody else is wrong but you, then you've already been deceived. If you are in a place, this is how cults start. Everybody else doesn't know the truth. I only know the truth. We've never claimed to know it all or know everything. I'm always learning every single day. We don't claim to know it all, but these channels create i would unsubscribe to them immediately create these things they also create an us versus them mentality when we're supposed to be a family they have no biblical backing for their ministries yet they claim to be the most biblically accurate most of them have a prove it to me attitude okay prove it to me oh god does miracles today prove it to me oh demons are real prove it to me show me jesus did not teach see it to believe it jesus taught believe it to see it so no if you have a cynical I'll see, I'll believe it when I see it. That's not the gospel. The gospel does not teach, see it to believe it. Jesus teaches, believe it and you'll see it. And the reason you don't see it is because you don't believe it. Philippians 1, 18 through 20. And in this, I rejoice. So Paul's rejoicing, even though there's fake preachers out there. So no, okay. Could I get up 200,000 views making fun of Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick or one of these guys? Oh yeah, 100,000, 200,000, easy. Guaranteed 200,000, 300,000 views, easy. But why? Is Stephen Furtick preaching Jesus? Whether you agree with him, like him, don't like him, he's a, he's a wolf, he's a heretic. Is he preaching Jesus? Yes. Yeah, he is. Joel Osteen. You really think I listen to Joel Osteen? Let's be real here. Okay, again, I used to call him out in my early days and I, I matured and I grew up. Okay, and put away childish things. I have videos from 2012 of me calling him out. And, Joel Osteen's false, he's this, he's that. Preaches Christ. So, are they doing it with envy, selfish ambition, strife, ways I wouldn't do it? Maybe. But guess what? I rejoice. I don't make videos. I don't make videos. I rejoice because Christ is being preached. That's what Paul said. You don't like it. Oh, well, Paul said it. Philippians 1, 18 through 20. And this I rejoice. Yes, I'll rejoice. For I know, look at this, 
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation, hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether life or by death. So Paul speaks of his deliverance from these chains and says, listen, whether life or death, Christ will be magnified in my body. No matter what happens to me, Paul says, can, you, can we get this attitude tonight? No matter what happens to me, Christ will be magnified in my body. The possibility of Paul's death is very real. Because remember, Nero's on, the, Nero's on the throne and was famous for killing Christians. Tradition says that Paul was held under house arrest for two years, which is the maximum time a prisoner can be held before they're killed. Now, most commentators don't believe there's evidence he actually testified in court so he could be released. But, they, that he, all, but he also continued to preach the gospel. And he also credited... He also credited with writing a second letter at 2 Timothy during a second imprisonment in Rome, eventually Paul was executed for his faith. Eventually. We just don't know exactly when. But in the face of death, Paul is calm and Paul is unworried. Imagine being so at peace with God you have this attitude. If I live or die, glory to God. It doesn't matter. Glory to God. Now the word magnified means in the Greek exalted or glorified. Now the be get a better understanding. Think of how... A microscope or telescope makes something bigger to the eye. Okay, a microscope enlarges something so it's more visible and you're more prone to pay attention to it. The idea Paul's conveying is he wants Jesus to be magnified or enlarged in view of others. He wanted them to think of Jesus for salvation and their needs and that, not when, and that when they saw him, they would not see Paul, but they would see Jesus. So when he's saying Jesus is magnified or glorified in me, this is what Paul is saying. Jesus is enlarged. Jesus gets bigger. I get smaller. They see more of him and, yet, and less of me. Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have a t-shirt that says that in my closet. But if I live on in the flesh, that is that, that, that. For if I, let me say it again. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two. What are the two? Look at this. This is what he's hard-pressed about. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. Literally, Paul saying, I, I want to die. Okay, let me show you this. Which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul's purpose is summed up to this. Jesus Christ. And this is what we always preach. This is what your life should be. My purpose is Jesus Christ. Everything he does is motivated in seeing Christ exalted and glorified. This is Paul's motivation. I want Christ to be exalted. I want Christ to be glorified. Now, although Paul prefers to see Jesus face to face in heaven and leave behind all the hardships he's continually facing, he's content with living so he can encourage and help others grow spiritually. But Paul is like literally saying, I want to die. No matter what happens though, I win. That's the benefit of the Christian. If we live, it's Christ. So Paul's sitting in prison like, hey, look, if y'all if y'all keep me alive, it's Christ, y'all. It's Christ. What can I say? I love it. Thank you. But if you kill me, Nero, it's gain. So what do you do with this guy? What do you do with the person that says, Christ, if, I, if you let me live, Christ is glorified. And if you kill me, I gain. I win. You lose. No matter what you lose, if you're trying to kill this guy. So Paul's basically saying, no matter what, I win. If we're alive, it's Christ. If we're dead, it's gain. Death is graduation for the Christian. The Bible says this, that Christ delivered us from the power or from the fear of death. So if you're afraid of dying, God wants to deliver you from that fear. But, but Paul's torn between two desires. 
One part of him, this is what the text says, he wants to die and be with God. And there's a, there's beauty to, to physical, physical death. In fact, the Bible says a wise person thinks about death constantly, but a fool only plans for today. There's a constant thought of, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to be going into another life. Like, I'm going to stand before God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's something, I know it's weird. It's not morbid, even though it sounds. There's something beautiful about dying as a Christian, not as a person in the world, but separation from this life and to be joined with God. That's why at a Christian's funeral, it's a celebration. Because they're dying in this realm. There's temporary death, but eternal life and eternal pleasure with God. Death is graduation. Paul's torn. But Paul says it's better that I stay. One commentator said this. We cannot live really until we come to grips with death. Paul's statement to the Philippians about death was based on the previous phase of his life. He had to die to himself and his own willful design for his life long before he made this statement in prison. Death was not an ending for Paul but a beginning of the next phase of eternal life, which had begun when he turned his life over to Christ. So we must live with eternity in mind. Stop living for now. Live for the next life. If that's what we get tonight, we've been live an hour and 15 minutes, live for the next life. If you're not ready to give up this life right now and die right now, you're not really ready to live for God. Philippians 1, 25 through 28. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by coming to you again. Only let your conduct only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you may stand in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So look at this. He says, let your, highlight this, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Conduct is the way that you live. So let's ask ourselves this before we start landing the plane tonight. And I want to get through two chapters, but we're not going to make it through two. We'll, we'll do more of these. We'll break it up here. Is my life, my conduct, the way I live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like when I look at my life, does my life look worthy of that? Is my conduct worthy of living a life of what Jesus died for? So Paul says, live a life and have a conduct worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and strive. You need to strive. Paul says, striving for the faith of the gospel. This is what you're going to see over and over and over again is striving together, working hard. This is what Peter says. Work hard. You I know you won't like this, so I'm going to quote what Peter said. Work hard to prove that you're among those God has called and chosen. And then God will give you a grand entrance to the kingdom of God. Do you know how to get a grand entrance? Think about these words. This is Peter speaking. Do you know how to get a grand entrance to the kingdom of God? Like I'm not slipping through the back door because some of you think getting into heaven is like getting into the club. You think you're going to get into heaven because you know somebody. Well, I know my mom's in there. My pastor's in there. No, 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 no. You ain't going to go through a per The only person you can get in through is Jesus Christ. You're not going to sneak through the back door. You're not going to get in because you have VIP status or you know somebody. Well, I gave a bunch of money. That is not how you get into heaven. The only entrance, Jesus Christ, is the door. He is the only way. So you want a grand entrance? Think about this. Here's how you have a grand entrance. Work hard to prove you're among those God has called and chosen. Don't be lazy. Don't get stuck in the, oh, it's not about works, brother. It's just all grace. Sit on the couch all day. The Bible says, work hard. This is what Jesus said. And if you didn't like that, you're not going to like this. Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. 
for many will seek to enter, but not be able to. So two types of people, strivers, seekers. Strivers enter the narrow gate, according to Jesus. Seekers, they don't get in. Because the word seek means to inquire, to ask questions, to just camp around the fire. You're just uh, asking, just seeing. You're always tipping, you know, tipping your toe into the water, but you never get in. So he says, strive. I don't want to barely make it. The righteous are bold on judgment day. Now, now Paul does say some will barely make it. So it is biblical to barely make it. But is that really where you want to be? Do you really want to be on judgment day in line? Like, I don't even know if I'm getting in. And then when you do, you barely, I mean, this is, I'm going to, I'm making this up. This is not in the Bible. So before you clip this and call me a heretic, I'm going to make up a story here to get you to think. Imagine God looking at the Lamb's book of life and going, what was your name? Isaiah Saldivar. And God going, again, I'm making this story up. Okay. God going, oh, I don't know if I see it. Hold on. It's like taking God time to find it. Just imagine this. And God's like, uh, I don't know. Let me check one more time. You're sitting there going, am I barely going to make it? And then God goes, oh, there it is. Way over here in the corner down here. I see you. All right, man, you barely made it in. You're in though, but you barely. This is what Paul says. He says, some will barely make it, barely escaping the flames of judgment with no reward. That's scary. So, or... Peter says, I think it's 2 Peter chapter 1 or 1 Peter 1, one of those. You could work hard to prove that you're among those that God has called and chosen. So prove that you're a Christian. Don't just say you are. And then God gives you a grand entrance. And you walk up to heaven. You're just, you're just strut, you know, strutting up there and there's balloons. I don't know. Celebration, confetti, screaming, shouting, grand entrance. Isaiah Saldivar is here. I mean, I don't know. But you get this grand entrance and Peter says that, if you work hard, you get a grand entrance to the kingdom of God. So work, strive, Paul says. And then this, don't be terrified of your adversaries. Whether that is those who oppose the gospel, those who are calling you a heretic, or those satanic forces that are opposing you. Why? Here's why. This is good preaching. This is straight, straight from the Bible, y'all. Here's why you fight different when you're scared. When you're scared, you fight different. We are in the fight of our souls, not lives. We're not in the fight of our life. We are in the fight. We are fighting for not political power, not oil, not economic status. We are fighting for souls in an eternal realm. We are fighting. We are in a battle fighting. And you got to realize when you're scared, you fight different. I'm not scared of you, devil. I'm not scared of you little chicken wings, little witches come. I'm a witch. I'm going to bring a chicken, dead chicken to your service. Bring the chicken and don't forget the lemon pepper because you're going to bring the dead chicken and now I'm going to put some lemon pepper and we're going to cook that thing up and I'll eat your little sacrifice that you brought. I'm not scared because are you scared that witches are going to come of what? What am I scared of? They're going to put, we had just last time I preached at my church, a guy and a girl come to the altar and wearing all black and they say, oh, we're witches and warlocks. No one could pray for us. We're witches and warlocks. And my team's like, okay. And you're not, you can't do anything. You can't touch this. You have literally no power. And guess what happened? Witches and warlocks came in all black. And guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. All that happened was they heard me preach. And they came up and they, no witch or warlock is going to come up. I'm a witch and warlock. Then do something about it. Cast a spell on me while I'm preaching. I was at a big mega church one time and they, they had witches tormenting the church, like a coven of witches. Every crazy thing you could think about. The pastor said, well, they're going to come and they're going <laughs> to, someone said wing stop witches. <clears throat> 
the Wingstop witches come. And these witches, I kid you not, whole coven, I was in Virginia, they sat front row, and the pastor, well, they won't move, they keep coming. I was like, let them come, let them sit front row. And I preached on the floor, because you know, guys, no, I don't usually preach on a stage. I, pre I try to walk around on the floor and just be kind of relatable there. And I walked back and forth, and I said, I'll preach a hole right through y'all. And I preached as strong as I could for an hour with a whole coven of witches trying to do the little, Ooh, come on, dude, that's not gonna do anything. I'm not afraid of my adversaries. You're weak, you're defeated. You serve God, the fake God, the lowercase God that lost and that has no power. And the night before they came to the, the youth rally and apparently some kid went flying off the, randomly went flying out of the stands the ambulance came and they had to stop the service because these witches were, you know, put a spell on some kid and the kid literally just flew off the, the thing. And so they said, oh, well, they're going to come tomorrow. Ooh, real scared. I'm like, come on, dude, bring it. I love it. I love it. I love fighting spiritually. Come bring it. I'll fight you while preaching. I'm not afraid of you. I'll pray for you after. You, you know, I'll, you could get my, you could, we'll have five, high five and take a picture together. You could put my picture on your little altar and you can put your little pepper and paprika and your little, you know, smoke it down with some sage and we'll, you know, we'll smoke a tri-tip after with your sage. We're not scared. We're not scared of you. We're not scared of your little witchcraft. You have no power. Thousands of you on tick witch talk. I was trending on, on witch talk and thousands of witches were posting. We're going to get this guy. Come get me. I'm right here. Put your spell. It does, it's not, it's not going to work. It's null and void because we got the power of the Holy Spirit. So go ahead and bring your wings and we'll make lemon pepper wings. Bring your sage and we'll smoke some tri-tip. We're not scared of the power of witchcraft. Paul says, I know I went off on a tangent, but it's good. Paul says, do not be terrified. When you're scared, you fight different. Nobody wants to be in a foxhole with a guy. Oh, I'm scared. What if they come after us with his gun down? Pick up your gun. Put your helmet on, put on the breastplate of righteousness, come on Holy Ghost, put on the shoes of peace, the belt of truth, put up that shield of faith, get that sword of the spirit and cut the giant's head off and don't be scared, spiritually, cut the giant's head off and don't be scared. We don't run from Goliath, we run towards Goliath. Come on, who are, where are you guys at in the chat? We're not afraid of our adversaries. The government's gonna get, I don't care about no government. I already said if they cancel me, Delete my page, delete my broadcast, ban me from all social media, cancel. You know what I'm going to do? Grow my hair out, grow my beard out. Come on, change my legal name to John the Baptist and start a new page as John the Baptist. Who cares for the government? They're going to shut you down and censor you. Glory to God to live as Christ and to die as gain. You can't kill. I'm already dead. You can't kill me. I'm already dead. What are we going to do? Mope around and be scared of all these platforms, be scared of the enemy? We don't run from the battle. Do you know why there's no armor for your back? There's no armor piece for the back because we're never meant we're, we were never meant to fight from we we're never meant to fight from behind. We the enemy's never going to be behind us. We don't run. I'm head on and we're fighting we're fighting head on. We're going at head on. Me and that demon, I, I'm not scared of no demons. You manifest right now. Let's go. Right now. Look me in the eye. People say, oh, I don't know if I, you know, you, she, the demon might be too strong. You're going to look me in the eye and we're going to cast the thing out of you because we're not afraid of our adversaries. We're not afraid of what the devil has. You know how many demons I've dealt with where they're levitating and growling and people's teeth are sharp and they're crawling backwards like, a, like a spider? I've seen people crawl up walls before. And I don't get scared. And we're too powerful. We're a tribal spirit from Puerto Rico. You can't cast me out. 30 minutes later, rah, the demon's screaming out of the person. Come on, dude. You can't get there from here. I have the same spirit that raised Christ. No little Puerto Rican tribal demon 
is too strong for the power of the Holy Ghost. I know my authority and my right. So you can cr crawl up a wall, act like a snake, slither around, and when you're done with your theatrics, I'll be here and I'll cast you out. And you know, I have a demons, I'm never coming out. I'm too strong. Five minutes later, ah! the demon's screaming out of the person. Come on. Do not be afraid. Stop being scared. You have nothing to be scared of. We need to fight our adversaries without fear spiritually. YouTube, we're talking spiritually, okay? So he's going to start a revolt and we got to take his channel down spiritually. Okay, we're not trying to attack nobody physically. This is a spiritual battle. And y'all need to calm down, okay? Trying to fight people at, at rallies and all that. Don't do that. Spiritually, we're going to war. All right, we're almost done here. I'm having too much fun. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. Yeah, so if you're a Wingstop witch, come to our service. We'd love to pray for you. Philippians 1, 29 through 30. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him. Look at this. Last verse but to also suffer for his sake. Let me say that again. Since you're on behalf of Christ, not only do you believe in him, but you also suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So if you take a survey, like, would you like, imagine taking a survey, would you like to invite suffering into your life? Let's take a poll. Yes, if you would, no, if you wouldn't. Everybody hits no. Nobody wants to suffer. Chances are everyone would say, no, I don't want to suffer. No one volunteers for difficulty and no one wants to suffer. However, Paul says suffering is something every Christian will experience just as he did. Jesus said the road is narrow and difficult. Difficulty is built into the Christian life. Christianity, difficulty, synonymous terms. It was not made to be easy. If it is easy, uh, you're probably not a Christian. Difficulty, suffering. The narrow road is difficult. The broad road is easy. The, the, it's a difficult life, y'all. Because if you're going, why, why is it difficult? Because you're going in the opposite way of everyone else. You're swimming upstream. A crowd of a thousand people, and I say, okay, get to the other side of the crowd, and you have to push through a thousand people, and they're all walking towards you. Do you think it's going to be easy? No, because you confront. You're going the opposite way. Now, for those preachers that have it easy, it's because there's no confrontation. You're going the same way as the crowd. You're swimming downstream with everybody else. It's difficult because we take a stand. Here are some benefits of suffering. Are you ready? And we're done. And then we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord, for suffering in Jesus' name. Here's the benefits. Our character is refined. Amen. We grow stronger because it makes us depend on God. How many of you know through suffering, you cling to Christ like never before? So it's good. You become more faith, uh, faithful and you cling to God. Number three, God is glorified through our ability to handle suffering in his power. It brings God glory when we walk in his power and handle suffering. The people around us say, how did you survive? God helped me through his power. Number four, those who claim to know Christ but don't are forced to evaluate their lack of commitment. Woo! Let me say that again. Those who claim to know Christ but don't know him are forced to evaluate their lack of commitment. That's good. Number five, our fellow Christians are encouraged and inspired to trust God more. How many of you have heard these stories of, you know, people born with no limbs or people in wheel, a wheelchair, you know, quadriplegic, paraplegic, whatever, and they go through incredible adversity and they serve God and they witness and they share their faith? I, I watched a video of a girl barely could breathe on an oxygen tank, sick, praying for the sick. And I was going, wow, that challenged me. That challenged me to be more like Christ. If she can do it, I can do it. it inspires people when we go through suffering. And then lastly... We long for the joy of heaven even more when we're willing to give up the false comforts of earth. There's something about suffering that says, 
Nothing else matters. I long to be with Christ. The comforts of this world are meaningless. Suffering does not just happen when you do something wrong or out of God's will. Let me say that again, because there's many of you going through suffering tonight. Suffering does not happen when you do something wrong or you're out of the will of God. Suffering happens in life because we live in a fallen world. Life happens. And I, I hate it just as much as you. When we go through sickness, pain, I have friends that are going through suffering right now cancer and sickness and it's so it's so sad to me but it produces something in us I, I guarantee you any of you going through cancer right now you are closer to God than you've ever been you cling to God everything becomes in alignment everything becomes clear the afterlife becomes you long for heaven that things things don't matter anymore when you get cancer when you get sick in body and they say you have a year to live if you have a year to live do you really care what people on Facebook think about you I mean come on really you just stop caring. You're like, I have one year to live. And life gets in perspective and you start living for the life to come. Let's all live like that. Let's all live this way. Father, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that we would have eternal eyes, God. Give us eyes that focus on eternity. Father, help us to walk this thing out. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy. Let us not be complacent. We want to live a worthy life. We want to live a life for you. We want to walk with you. I want to be a slave of God. If you want to be a slave of God right now, pray that. Father, I want to be a slave of Christ. I want to be a bondservant to live as Christ, but die as gain. Some of you right now are getting delivered from the fear of death. Right now, some of you have a fear of death. God's going to deliver you. No more fearing death. No more being afraid of what's going to happen. I'm going to be bold. I'm not going to barely make it. Come on, get it in you tonight. I'm not going to barely make it. I'm going to work hard so that I could have a grand entrance on Judgment Day. I want a grand entrance into the kingdom of God. Lord, I don't want to barely make it. Help me, Lord, in my laziness. Come on, chat, pray. Help me, Lord, in my laziness to be more like you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. Humble me, Lord. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Purify my mind and my heart. Break off the laziness. We command that spirit of laziness to come out right now in Jesus' name. Complacency and comfort, we break it right now. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, if you would guide us and lead us. Come on, right now, decide that you're gonna work hard. I'm, do I'm doing it right now. I work I'm gonna work hard. I, I haven't been putting in work. I haven't been putting in time, maybe in prayer and studying and fasting, whatever it is for you. I'm gonna start putting in work. This thing will cost you. This thing is an extreme amount of work. And I wanna put that work, work in, in Jesus' name. I want to put that work in, in Jesus' name. Father, I want to do this. I'm tired of being lazy. I'm tired of being complacent. Let's put the work in. Satan, we're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of you. You're a liar. You're a you literally are a loser. You've lost this battle. Get your hands off the people of God in Jesus' name. We break your power. We break your strategies. We break your plans. You have no legal right. I command every unclean spirit to come out of every person watching now in Jesus' name. You have no power. Come out now in Jesus' name. You have no place. The Lord rebukes you, Satan. We command you up and out now. You've lost this battle. We are not terrified or afraid of you. We break your power now in Jesus Christ's name. Every assignment, every contract, every plan of death of, of the enemy on your life, we break it now in Jesus' name. The blood is against you, Satan. We war against you with the full armor of God. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort those in suffering. Right now, if you're in this broadcast and you're suffering, I want, I want to pray that the Lord would comfort you. Father, 
I pray you would comfort every person in suffering. Now, God will not always deliver us from suffering, but God is the comforter. He brings comfort in our suffering. Just bring comfort tonight in Jesus' name. Help us tonight in Jesus' name. Bring breakthrough tonight in Jesus' name. Bring wholeness tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. We just pray, Father, do what only you can do. Someone say, I'm on dialysis. Lord, we pray comfort. We pray divine healing. If you're sick in body, I just pray be healed in Jesus' name. Lord, we know that you desire to heal and you desire to deliver. This is part of what you did on the cross. So we ask you in Jesus Christ's name, God, do the work. Do the work tonight. Bring divine healing. Bring divine breakthrough. Bring repentance. Maybe you're not saved and you need to get saved tonight. You need to repent of your sins and turn to God. Father, we just pray repentance right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Breakthrough and healing. Breakthrough and healing. Supernatural. Let revival break out in homes tonight in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I know we've been live, guys, for an hour and 33 minutes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.